If ever you go to Dublin town in a hundred years or so, inquire for me in Baggett Street and what I was like to know. He was a queer one, full of little Ido. He was a queer one, and I'll tell you. Hello and welcome to, if ever you go, a Northside Dublin perspective. My name is Pat Lynch and I hope you will join me as we journey through the Dublin One City One book selection for 2014 entitled, If Ever You Go, A Map of Dublin in Poetry and Song. In this programme, we continue our literary journey of Northside Dublin, this time through the areas of Dublin 11 and 13, focusing on Dunamid, Belmain, Sutton and Finglas. The poems featured in this programme are my father perceived as a vision of St. Francis by Paul Amin, Place Names, A Man Is Only As Good, and Station Road Sutton by Pat Boren. But now we begin with Catherine Ann Cullen, who reads and discusses her poem, Grange Abbey Dunamede. It's a shell marooned on a suburban shore. A shell that we scarcely listen to. Open your ears. Under the tide of traffic, there's a faint rush of sea. The wind singing in the golden meadows the shouts of men hoisting keystones, the stonecutter at the grave slabs. Here lies a way of life, the church itself a gravestone now, the graveyard a park, unloved as parks go, a local traversy, a travesty of stripped bicycles and shopping trolleys. Here lies the Grange of Baldoyle, a medieval supermarket, a busy farm with daily deliveries on carts or foot into the spreading town. Open your ears. Can you hear the King of Leinster's coach? Hear his great lungs breathe in the country air. That's the scratch of his quill, gifting his gleaming fields to city monks. Open your ears. Hear the din of dinner at the Priory of All Hallows. Trinity monks sup milk from Baldoyle cows, feed on grange cheeses, bread and butter, quaff St. Donna's mead. And we should drink deep from this well of history. These walls guard secrets still, have barely teased the archaeologists with splinters of bowls and bones, a riddle of shifted stones. Open your ears. A whole world quivers like a slammed door in this shell washed up on a suburban shore. Catherine, before we talk about the content of the poem, just tell us your starting point with, with this particular poem and the whole Grange Abbey, Dunamede, how you came upon it. Well, I um, I was writer in residence, actually, two years running in Gael Colosh to Rockran, uh, which is not far from here. And uh, it's a great experience to do writer in residence because you get to work with them. I was working with transition year students um, for two hours every week for, I think, about eight weeks. So you can really get your teeth into a project. Mm. And the project we did was actually like a, a, a microcosm of this, um, if ever you go, project because we did a poetry map of the Donna Mead Baldoyle area. And on the first day, I said, OK, we'll make a list of the interesting places around here. And so we made a list with, you know, they, they came up with suggestions, the local sports places, the local park, which wasn't open at that stage, but was being redeveloped, the Father Collins Park. Yeah. And um, and um, and I said, and what about the place across the road there, <laughs> mm. which was this ruined kind of uh, church yeah. building or something? And um, they sort of, I said, they said, oh, yeah, that's Grange Abbey. And I said, well, that's obviously going to be um, one of the places. And I said, tell me about that. And they sort of looked at me and 
they didn't seem to really know anything about it. And I said, ah, here, I'm going to, I'll write the poem about that place. And I divided up who was writing poems about the various other places. So that was the starting point. So I did, looked up the history. I, I, I researched the place. I found it was absolutely fascinating. And uh, the next week I came in with my poem. Wow, wow. <laughs> and it seems to me that there was a great joy in the I was wondering what the percentage of researched facts and just letting your imagination just fill in the, the details. Yeah, well, there are some really good. I mean, most of it is very factual, but obviously I what I was trying to do, I suppose, is to try and bring it alive yeah. so that I mean, I've been talking to them about using your senses when you're doing poetry. Imagine that you can smell things and, you know, hear the things and, you know, um, the, just the smell, the sounds, all those little things. So that's what I was trying to do to recreate what it was like in the in the yeah. days when it was founded. And so Dermot McMurrah, who was the King of Leinster at the time, and um, he's very famous in Irish history and he's the father-in-law of Strongbow. Mm-hmm. So his daughter Aoife married Strongbow and their tomb is in is in Christchurch. So it's quite a big Dublin thing. Yeah. And uh, so he was the King of Leinster and he founded a monastery in Trinity College. What's Trinity College now? The All Hallows Priory. And uh, he he came out the, to this area, which at the time was seaside. Right. A lot of the land here has been reclaimed and also the sea has receded from some of it. So this were, these were meadows by the sea. Must have been very, very beautiful. And uh, he, um, he, he, he gave a gift of all these fields to the monks for them to, to, to be supplied with all the, all the food they needed, all, mm. the, all the cheese and the butter and the wheat for their bread and all that kind of thing. So, um, so that's basically the, the story. And I was, I was kind of thinking, so the church was built at that time yeah. and they're not sure exactly when, but around the 12th, 13th, 14th century at the latest it was finished. And um, uh, it was just a little small kind of little monastic church there. And uh, so I suppose I was just fired by yes. thinking about that beautiful little church on the edge of the sea, you know, and at the edge of these lovely golden fields. And I was trying to imagine what it was like. Yeah, and it, and it it becomes so sharp into focus, especially towards the last line, where it is that whole idea of a door into another world. We're, we're, we're living in this world. That ruin was sitting over there. People pass by it every day, don't think. And you just created this whole other life of the time. Well, I, I hope so, because I, I suppose as well, when you're dealing with kind of teenagers and, uh, you know, often they're, they're, they're very lackadaisical and, you know, they they don't really want to express much interest in things. And I have to say that the, the students I had in Colossal Rockland were fantastic yeah. and they produced great poems about the area. And in fact, what was really nice was that when Father Collins Park did open, um, the Dublin City Council actually asked me for the poems, for all of the poems that the students had done. And they put them on big, huge posters um, because they were about the area all around the park for the opening. Yeah. So it was it was very nice time for the students as well. And uh, and my poem was there too. So um, so I suppose, yeah, the the, um, the the place is full of history and Absolutely. you really just have to tap into it a little bit and try and recreate it. Yeah. And, and you're reminding me of something very important. And of course, it isn't a poem when you talk about a shell as well. Um and it's good for our listeners to remember this too. I remember when, coming from the area, when Bowman Hospital was being built, for years that land was just kind of, I think it was owned by the nuns or whatever. But as kids playing in there, we'd come across shells and we never f- could figure it out. It was strange to think that, what are shells doing in here in the soil? Yeah. Kind of and I think someone found something that was like a little fossil at one stage. And that poem reminded me of this very much that, you know, history 
it's under our feet. It's there. It's, yeah, it's with so us. That, well, there yeah. was seaside there. Yeah, you know, there yeah. were shells there because that was the sea, yeah. which is really interesting to think of. Yeah. And um, I think also I use the idea of a shell mm. as well, that the building is is a shell yeah, now. Yeah. And that idea as well that you listen to shells, you know, you put them up to your ear, yeah. shells from the sea, and you hear that sound of, mm. of, of mm. something. Yeah. And uh, I think that I was trying to get that idea as well, that saying it's a shell washed up in a suburban floor. And that's why you have to open your ears and listen to what that shell is telling you. you know? Yeah, yeah. And it, it felt... In its own way, very contemporary too, because you do talk about having worked with young people on around the time you were you were doing the poem. It, 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 it was almost like one of those kind of TV programs. This idea of a portal to another world, you know, yeah. that's what the shell image worked as as well. That it just brings you somewhere else. Yeah, I suppose as I said, I was just trying to trying to fire them. I suppose with a little yeah. bit of enthusiasm for the place, and that they pass by every day, and they co- they actually came through the the little um, sort of. Um, that it's like nearly a little roundabout that that, that this um, abbey is on now. They actually walk through that every day to yeah. school, a lot of them. And I just trying to say, come on, let's yes. think about what's what's here yeah. uh, and what was here. So We'll have to bring you to other parts of Dublin because I know <laughs> down in, near St. David's has been a ruin by the Arting Castle for years that no one that I know has done too much about it. So we'll have to get you to check that one out. Maybe. Oh, well, I'd love to do that. Yeah, so maybe we could do a, maybe we could do a documentary of that one. <laughs> Brilliant, as you say, it's all around us. We Ask Pupils from St. David's National Boys' School, Artane, is poetry something they find difficult to understand? Sometimes, yes, actually. Yes, poetry, people that write poems are writing what they feel and I just can't get what they're feeling sometimes. It's mysterious in a kind of way and a little hint of advice in there as well. Well, depending on the poem, because sometimes it can be easy, but sometimes it can be hard. It depends what kind of poetry you're talking about. Like, say, if it's a word poetry, you'd have to really think in your brain what it actually means. Yeah, it's difficult what he's trying to say sometimes because you don't know what he's. Um, yeah, you don't know what he's trying to say, and like there's some words that I haven't a clue what they are, so then I just go and check them up, and then I finally know what the poem means and stuff. Is there any poems you don't like? Um, some poems, like the really small poems. Uh, sometimes I don't like the very long poems. It's just the poems that are not that long, not that short. Pat Boren reads and discusses his poem, Place Names. Where the M50 crosses the M1 to join the N32, their car broke down. The classic, steaming, open bonnet scene with two or three, no, four kids in the back wide-eyed and frightened darkness approaching the Sunday evening homebound traffic a river in flood I pulled up close in front walked back along the verge to find a couple dressed in full-length robes their cell phone dead a map on the dashboard folded to the mess of veins and arteries they sat there in. One road above, another below, a third spun out before them into empty space, and cars and trucks and caravans flung wide about them all like satellites or stars, in which confusion the names I might have chanced meant little, Clunshock or Collinstown, Belmain or Darndale, all borders lost within the web of lights. Instead, my finger homing in on the black pool up ahead, 
my voice now foreign even to myself, repeating, Don't worry now, you're almost there. Lovely, Pat. Um, this is, in the way we talked about maybe in the other poems there, a moment after hours or a moment, a reflection in the day, this one struck me about maybe almost a moment of confusion, a sense of the way our cities have gone or, you know, you go outside the areas around us that were once were fields and now we're into big motorways and it's very easy to get lost in them and that sense of place maybe can get lost in them for a while. Absolutely, yeah. and you're not entirely always sure where you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would, I would think in the daylight hours, I know the places named relatively well in, the, in, in that poem. And if I were on foot or on a bicycle, I'd have no problem telling you where I am. Yeah. But comes a certain hour of night and um, a certain kind of vertigo or dizziness or dislocation when you're, um, you know, moving from the M1 to the N32 <laughs> and you're going through that whole new spiral and you don't know for a minute if you're facing north or south or east or west or where or who you are. Yeah. Um, and it is a kind of a, in that sense, it's a kind of a comment on the way that the, that the city changed. Even the fact that roads nowadays uh, are named after numbers, mm. you know, um, not just in Ireland, of course, but everywhere. Whereas formerly it was Water Will yeah. Road or it was Station Road or that that there was a certain sense of kind of human scale about them. But now they're machines to convey people from X to Y and God help you if you break down as this couple did with four kids in the back a number of years ago when I was on the way back up from the country Um, but you know if you break down like that you're suddenly um, you're suddenly sitting on the side of a road terrified that something a truck or something else is going to plough into you and uh, and you're really in a very alien environment you're fine as long as you stay moving um, but there's also that sense, too, of that idea of the borders. You know, in putting this book together, of course, we became really interested in, as maybe as fans of you 2 are, for instance, in the difference between Ballymon and Glasnevin. Yes. <laughs> I, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say that now in a generic way. And <laughs> uh, what one implies that the other doesn't imply, etc. So, you know, there there is a sense that while... We're we're trying to gather the poems for that reason, and we're trying to be not provocative, but trying to trying to find poems that fulfil th- th- that kind of an agenda. Yeah. That there's another truth as well. That that sometimes the exact place you're in is not really what's relevant. It's how you connect to the people you find in that place. Yeah. You know, I'm not from Dublin. I I lived most of my life in Dublin so far in the city centre, and then I found myself. 12 years or so ago moving out to Baldoyle and I knew nobody in it and the way the local community made a space for me took their time getting to know me as I took time getting to know them but were friendly and accommodating etc so the the, the map the name of the place on the map isn't sufficient to Mm. tell the story of the place so you know, I suppose the idea at this is it is it is only a construct. The map, the map will change over years. The names of streets change, uh, you know, with different uh, the different dominant political regimes. Yeah. Let's say, 
Um, and sometimes, you know, the ubiquity of, of, of places called Dublin Road in, in Dublin seems, in what is now Dublin, yeah. you know, there's a Dublin Road in Baldoyle. It makes no sense anymore because once Baldoyle was a little fishing village yeah. way outside of Dublin. Now it's time, Fingal County Council, it's time to rename that. Yeah. It's time to find something that reflects how the, how the town has been absorbed and how it has changed. It's beyond being a satellite. Yeah, the, the, the um, borders get blurred, as you say. They get, they they get blurred. Meant, yeah. They get blurred. So, so at one level, you, uh, the book is kind of playing with that idea that, that we have tribal allegiance to a place. But then it's also saying that the truth of it is that this kind of, that this kind of web of stars, we're all part of something more complicated than we used to be. We all now, it, you know, it's a bit like the Irish diaspora. They're much more likely to travel um, after leaving the country than they used to be. Mm. We're not static on the planet, mm. at least in the Western world, the, 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 the wealthy consumerists of us out there. You know, we, we, we move around much more than we used to do. And, and so the country is more complicated. Um, and that's, that's a poem that maybe in some ways is a bit more editorial than the others in the sense that there's, a, there's an idea somewhere driving it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I remember, it, it, though the event happened a number of years ago, the poem didn't finish itself until I was in the middle of editing all this and, and I felt that this was niggling and mm-hmm. it was in the back of my head that, that there was a poem there and there was no, no point in finishing it in a year's time. It really, it was part of this yeah. subject. It does. It feels know? like a poem that's almost in flux or something, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and, and that's the thing that that uh, you know, even even if if I'm making or if someone is making poems, they they can not only be different to each other. They can have different purposes. Mm. They don't all have to be. You know, you 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 get a, an album of songs by your favorite singer, and if all eight of them or ten of them sound the same, you're going to be disappointed. Absolutely. You know that 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 you you go with the mood, and and you let some have that kind of sense of um, turbulence or confusion or something about them. That's that's the subject. Absolutely, bring you somewhere else. Says my L one to your L one, will you go to the waxy stargle? Says your L one to my L one. I haven't got a farthing. I went up to Monto Town to see Uncle McArdle, but he wouldn't give me a half a crown for to go to the waxy stargle. So what'll you have? I'll have a pint. I'll have a pint with you, sir. And if one of you doesn't order soon, we'll be chucked out of the boozer. Says my L1 to your L1, will you go to the Galway races? Says your L1 to my L1, I'll hawk me old man's braces. I went up to Capel Street to the Jewish money lenders, but he wouldn't give me a couple of bob for the old man's red suspenders. Says my L1 to your L1, we've got no beef or mutton. If we go to Monto Town, we might get a drink for nothing. Here's a nice piece of advice I got from an old fishmonger. When your food is scarce and you see the hearse, you'll know you've died of hunger. That was The Waxy Dargle, sung by Vincent Smith. Next we hear from Paula Mean reading and discussing her poem, My Father Perceived as a Vision of St. Francis. My Father Perceived as a Vision of St. Francis. It was the piebald horse in next door's garden frightened me out of a dream with her dawn whinny. I was back in the box room of the house, my brother's room now, full of ties and sweaters and secrets, 
Bottles chinked on the doorstep. The first bus pulled up to the stop. The rest of the house slept, except for my father. I heard him rake the ash from the grate, plug in the kettle, hum a snatch of a tune. Then he unlocked the back door and stepped out into the garden. Autumn was nearly done. The first frost whitened the slates of the estate. He was older than I had reckoned, his hair completely silver, and for the first time I saw the stoop of his shoulder, saw that his leg was stiff. What's he at so early and still stars in the west? They came then, birds of every size, shape, colour. They came from the hedges and shrubs, from eaves and garden sheds, from the industrial estate, outlying fields, from Dubber Cross they came, and the ditches of the North Road. The garden was a pandemonium when my father threw up his hands and tossed the crumbs to the air. The sun cleared O'Reilly's chimney, and he was suddenly radiant, a perfect vision of St. Francis, made whole, made young again in a fingless garden. Paula, beautiful poem, and probably one of, one of your most celebrated as well. I've, I, I hear, I've heard you read this a lot over the years at different events. Yeah, people... Um, seem to respond to it and I'm asked to read it very frequently. Yeah. Um, I suppose the the setting of it in an, uh, just an ordinary suburban garden, um, is, I suppose that setting is so common to so many people that they can relate to it. Yeah. And because I think all poems about fathers or mothers or children, because we all have some connection uh, to family life on some level, most of us, that these are just common experiences. And I think everyone has looked at their their father and realised that they're mortal. Yeah, yeah. And that someday they're going to pass, you yeah. know. And it's that sense, as you say, you can be living with someone every day and you don't see that maybe they've aged a little bit or, or walking a bit slower or whatever it is, yeah. but it's just a moment that happens in sometimes. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the, I suppose the gradualness of mm. people's journey and then suddenly you see it. Um, so it's a moment of, of realisation and vision. Yeah, and, and a lovely little private moment too of it's almost like uh, having a private moment with your father. You can hear him while he's, you know, while the mm. house is asleep, he, he's potting around and there he's doing yeah. it, the, the little ritual maybe. And my mother died when she was 42 uh, and I was the eldest, but the, there was uh, five other children. So my father really, he he was mother and father to mm. the younger children. So that sense of him getting the house going, getting up early and getting the house kind of up, the engine of the house going. Yes. Yeah. Um, is, I'm very fond of that memory of him. And I think what people love about it too is it's it's the way it switches from the the ordinary, the slightly mundane to mm. something glorious, yeah. <laughs> the perception, you know. Yeah, the radiance. Well, I suppose I had the usual terrorised Irish childhood. You know, we got a lot of the, the lives of the saints and a lot of crucifixion and wounds <laughs> and martyrology um, in both the kind of Catholic uh, legacy and also the, you know, the times we lived in politically. There was a lot of martyr 
imagery and iconography about. Um, and I remember as a child being absolutely terrified by these images of you know, wounds and crowns of thorns and nails. And and the only saint really that we had in, in our um, little book of the lives of the saints that you could feel at all comfortable with was St. Francis because there was that beautiful image of him mm-hmm. preaching to the creatures surrounded by animals and birds. Um, and it was such a welcoming, loving kind of a, an image um, and one that I did always associate with my father, who was incredibly like good to dogs, even down. Um, he'd keep the bones, the leftover bones from the family dinners to throw into the kind of half savage kind of Al- Al- Alsatians that would be guarding yeah. the factories on the North Road um, and always kept the scr- the the bread scraps for the birds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does poem? I, I would imagine a poem like this keeps that memory so alive for you as well. Um, yeah. Well, Larry was a, he was a great character. I mean, he was stoic. I mean, life dealt him quite a tough hand. Um, he was that generation of Dublin men who didn't really uh, find it easy to express their emotions mm. or even to express affection. We use kind of. Um, slag him that he only learned to hug when he was in his 70s, you know. But he was a fantastic um, kind of determined attitude to life. Great fun and um, just I remember the last couple of years of his life I was trying to get him to uh, record his memories, you know, and I'd be saying, you know, for the grandchildren and the great grandchildren. And he looked at me and he said, I don't do the past. <laughs> and he meant it. Pat Boren reads, A Man Is Only As Good. A man is only as good as what he says to a dog when he has to get up out of bed in the middle of a wintry night because some damned dog has been barking. And he goes and opens the door in his vest and boxer shorts and there on the pockmarked waste ground called a playing field out front he finds the mutt with one paw raised in expectation and an expression that says, Thank God. For a minute there I thought there was no one awake but me in this goddamn town. And we continue with Pat Boren, who reads his poem, Station Road, Sutton. There is that moment when the barrier comes down on Station Road, when the train to Hoth has passed and nothing happens when the men in lycra vests and shorts on their blade-thin wheels look round and through each other, when the yummy mums with their dozy, school-bound offsprings by their sides are trussed up in the seats behind like dolls, glance down one more time to check the time, when the very birds up on that ever-slack tangle of cables shuffle two steps left or one step right, when the sea retreats and only sunlight advances along the track, when something in the chest unlocks or shifts and you find you're no longer waiting, when the barrier lifts. Thank you for joining us on If Ever You Go, A Northside Dublin Perspective, our exploration of the north side of Dublin through poetry and song. And many thanks to all the guests who featured in this programme. For further information on this series, check out nearfm.ie forward slash if ever you go series.
If ever you go to Dublin town in a hundred years or so, inquire for me in Baggett Street and what I was like to know. He was a queer one, full of diddle ido. He was a queer one, and I'll tell you. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.